0: Due to a technical issue, we were unable to record the sermon in Thornton this week. Please enjoy this sermon from Calvary in Erie, which covers a similar theme and scripture passage. All right, Luke chapter 12. This is a time in which Jesus' ministry has gathered a lot of attention. And it says that there are thousands upon thousands that are pressing in to follow Jesus. And when the crowds get big, I think Jesus' messages become really clear. Because he wants people to know what he's about. When he sees the crowds growing, he doesn't think this is the optimal time to give a really warm and fluffy message that more and more people would just follow. But he gives clarifying messages about who he is and what he's about Chapter 12, starting in verse 13. There's something about Jesus' teaching in which has captured this man's imagination. There's a man in the crowd that begins to see Jesus as a possible help to him financially. And so chapter 12, verse 13 says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, Rabbi, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Have you ever experienced a familial dispute around money? Man, those can get pretty wild, can't they? Especially when you have parents that have passed on, and now all of a sudden you and your siblings are trying to determine what part of your parents' belongings and financial resources belong to each one of us. Especially if it has not been already disclosed in a will. So this man sees something in Jesus, and it leads him to think, if I ask Jesus, he will advocate for me to get my money. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? Jesus has no interest in playing that role. Not only not being the arbitrator of somebody's will, but being an advocate for somebody To get a portion that they think they deserve. And he said to them. This is now to the crowd. After this man's response. He looks at this big crowd and he says to them. He said to them, take care. And be on your guard against all covetousness. Maybe some of your translation says greed. Be on your guard against covetousness or greed. What what Jesus is going to do is he's going to reveal a teaching. That many people don't pay attention to. That's destroying people's souls. That's destroying their life. That's enslaving them and keeping them from living the life that God desires. And so he says, okay, be on your guard. Pay attention to your heart's covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of their possessions. Like, the value of your life does not consist in the amount of your possessions. Do you believe that? I'm not sure I do just totally honest i'm not sure if i totally believe that because some possessions are awesome (laughs) they're so fun i enjoy them and so i had to look at my own life and maybe here's some questions that i asked myself that i'd ask you today is if you say you believe that does your garage (laughs) echo your belief That your life does not consist of the accumulation of possessions. How about your closet? How about your basement or attic? How about the storage unit you rent every month? (laughs) You see, it's so easy to just like pass over these. Like, yeah, of course, life is more than possessions. And yet I'm scraping, scratching, borrowing, going into debt. To accumulate them, do I really believe that Jesus is telling us the truth, that your life does not consist in the amount of things you own? I'll tell you, living as an American and living where we live as an American, our lifestyles have surpassed our parents. And our grandparents. Think of the size of the home they grew up in and the home you live in. The amount of things they owned and the things that we own. This scripture is very important for us to pay attention to because Jesus' is, his desire is that we would live free, that we'd experience the freedom that He has come to provide. And He knows that if, unless we're on guard against these things, we can become entrapped in them. And so He says, Guard against all covetousness, for life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And we say, prove it. (laughs) Prove it. And so he tells this parable. This is is Jesus' MO when he's asked a direct question. Let me tell you a story. And see if you can find yourself in the story. And maybe you'll be able to answer your own question. He told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully... And he thought to himself, what shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns, and I'll build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool. This night your soul is required for you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So he tells this parable of a rich man. And what's interesting about this rich man is that he's a farmer. Does anyone work as hard as a farmer? No, so here's like the American work ethic. He's a farmer. And because of his diligence in work, he has produced... An excess of goods and resources. Now notice what's interesting about this scenario. He has gained his wealth legally. He hasn't mistreated anyone to gain it. He hasn't lied about it to get it. He hasn't stolen it. So this man possesses wealth. He has acquired it. And hasn't done it in a corrupting way. And yet the Lord has something to say about how he has used his wealth. The indictment is the very end here. Who lays up treasures for himself. That he looks at the abundance of resources. This is the blessings of God on him. I mean, he's a farmer. He doesn't control the rains. He doesn't control the storms. He simply plants his seed, and the, and the soil will produce. By God's grace, the crop will come. So God has been gracious to him. He's just showered blessings on his life. And it has produced more than he needs. And he looks at it and says, you know what I should do? I will tear down my small barns and I'll build bigger ones. I don't need a two-car garage. I need a six-car garage. The Lord's been so good to me, my current circumstances can't contain all of God's blessings. And so i got to build bigger barns. The root of his problem is that he's only concerned with himself. Do you see all the ways in which he refers to himself in the text? Let's look at this again. It says, what shall I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. I will do this. I will tear down. I will store. I will say to my soul, relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Who's the center of his universe? Himself. This is the danger. The danger is that we take all of God's blessings... And we store them for ourselves. Now, there is much in the Bible to talk about the wisdom of storing up goods and resources to prepare for the seasons ahead. So this is not to say that you should not have any savings. Or that you should not make any investments. The Proverbs are filled with wisdom of how we are to live. Here's Proverbs chapter 6. He says, okay, you human? You want some wisdom? He says, take a lesson from the ants. You lazy bones. Learn from their ways. And become wise. Though, you have, though they have no prince. Or governor or ruler. That forces them to work. They labor hard all summer. Gathering food. For the winter. They're storing up resources. To care for their needs. During the winter. Here's Proverbs 21. Five. Good planning and hard work. Leads to prosperity. But hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. See, the, the Proverbs are filled with wisdom literature of how we work hard, make plans, save, invest. So this story is not about having any resources stored up. The issue that Jesus is going after is what? Is the greed and covetousness that we have. Is that we want just a little bit more. And the reason we want more. Is so that we can feel financially secure. In control. And not have to worry or depend on anyone else. In our life. See here's here's the root problem with greed and covetousness. It is unquenchable. You cannot purchase enough, buy enough, own enough to be satisfied. It's why Jesus says, guard your heart against this. Because you will consume and consume and consume until it consumes you. There's a famous author, a Russian novelist. Perhaps you've read War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy. I have not. But he also writes short stories, which is my jam. <laughs> and I was talking to Jay about this this week. And one of the short stories that he writes, maybe you're familiar with it, maybe you're not, is a short story called, How Much Land Does a Man Need? And he tells this story of a Russian peasant worker. And this Russian peasant worker is a man named Pahom. And Pahom is simply serving on someone else's land. And he realizes, this is, he thinks to himself, this is a terrible situation. Is that I continually work all the time and I'm paying all the landlords. And he says to himself, if only I could own a piece of land. Enough land to have some of my animals out there and to grow some crops. And be able to provide for my family. I would be satisfied. And enough. I'd, I'd have enough. But he can't find any land to purchase until one day he finds out that a wealthy landlord is selling parcels of her property. And so he learns that she's even willing to take a small down payment on it with the promise of future repayment. And so he scrounges everything he possibly can. He sells certain possessions to get money. And he even hires out his family members that they might earn income to secure enough for a down payment to purchase one of these parcels of land. And he accomplishes it. Leo writes the story of a home, and he purchases 40 acres, a parcel of land. And then he begins to plant this parcel of land, and it produces a great harvest, so much so that he's able to actually pay off all his debts and to purchase the land free and clear, not having to pay anyone anymore. And you'd think he'd be happy, 40 acres with his family and his livestock producing the land. But there's one problem. It's not enough. It's not enough because, well, he has these neighbors. I don't know if you have neighbors. But neighbors drive people to buy larger parcels of property. And so now he's bought 40 acres, but his neighbors, I mean, they're just not great neighbors. They walk on his property. They have no regard for his property. Sometimes they steal from his property. he thinks, if I just had a little bit more land. And so this short story goes on for him to acquire more and more acreage, buying up other parcels of his neighbors so that he can have more room and be satisfied. He's done so well that he now owns 1,300 acres. And he thinks if I just had a little bit more land, I'd be satisfied. And he's in the process of trying to figure out how to purchase more property when a local dealer comes by and tells him about a land purchasing opportunity nearby in which land is sold by the day. 1,000 rubles gets you an opportunity to purchase as much land as you can mark off in a period from the sun up, to the sundown. Now this interests him. He thinks, oh my goodness, how much land could I mark off in one day for a thousand rubles? That'd be miles of land. And so he takes this dealer up on his offer and he goes and he meets with the chiefs of the land. And the one rule is this. This is the starting point. And you go out and you can mark off as much land as you want. And you do it with a spade, a shovel. And you dig a hole and turn over the turf, marking the boundary of your property. The only catch is, you have to make it back to the starting point before the sun sets. And so as the sun rises, Baham dashes off into the east, making his first mark with his spade. And he's working his way east for several hours, miles in fact, in which he sits and rests, thinking he's making good progress. He then heads north for another boundary. Along the way, taking his spade and opening up the land and marking his boundaries of where he will now own. Well, it's getting later than he thought. And so he turns around and starts heading west, realizing perhaps he's made the sides of his boundaries too large and he won't make it back in time. He's rather quickened in his work now. Though at one point he realizes there's just a small lake off to the side. It'd be a shame to be all the way out here and not own it as well. And so he rounds the lake, making his marks with his spade. Realizing that the sunlight was leaving rather quickly, he starts making a dash back to his starting place. He's down in this valley, and the shadows have come on him. Thinking the sun has set, he's almost giving up, but realizes his starting place is on top of the hill. It hasn't set there yet, and so he is making every effort to get back to the starting place. He finally is climbing up this hill, dashing towards the beginning arrives where he started as the sun sets and he collapses and dies and the final line of the story that Tolstoy writes says this his servant picked up the spade and dug a grave long enough for Pahom to lie in and buried him in it six feet from his head to his heels was all he needed. How much land does a person need? About six feet. I think that this is a story in which is portraying a truth that Jesus taught. Tolstoy was born into wealth. Having confronted with the teachings of Jesus, he learned what it was to give it away. He wrestled with these things his whole life. I think Jesus is saying, be on your guard against covetousness and greed. That you want just a little bit more, it'll kill you. And at the end of the day, this, this man who's asking Jesus to be an arbiter of his parents' will is fighting over something his parents can't keep. And he won't be able to keep either. And so be on your guard of accumulating God's blessings and not allowing his blessings, his resources, to flow through you to others. This is what he's saying is be rich towards God. That's That's the object of our affection. And what Jesus is teaching is that how we handle our material goods have real significant spiritual implications. How we handle money can ruin our souls. This is why the Bible warns against it. The love of money is the root. The love of it, the pursuit of it, the want of it is the root of all kinds of evil that we do to each other. This is why Jesus tells a parable. The word of God, the gospel goes out and lands on all different kinds of people, different soils. And one of those soils receives the word With excitement, and it's kind of like responding right away. But the wealth and the worries and the concerns of the world choke it out. And so their faith dies. The scriptures tell us of of those who started off well on the journey, but in, in love with the world, they left their faith. And so Jesus doesn't want that for you. What Jesus wants is for you to experience freedom from the pursuit and accumulation of material possessions. Now, in part, storing up in this man's barns is to give him that financial security. I want financial security. I don't want to be anxious. I don't want to be worrying about what to do. And Jesus says, there's actually a better way. There's a better way. In fact, anyone in this room can have it. Whether you have a lot or you have a little, there's a way to live into Jesus... That gives you the life of freedom from worry and anxiety that comes with material possessions. And so he tells two illustrations using nature. Verse twenty-two, he says to the disciples, "Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious. Don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing." It says, consider the ravens. Like, just think about this. You've seen a bird before? Think about all those birds that, that fly into your backyard. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. right? They don't get to plant. They don't get to harvest. They don't get to store up food. They don't sow or reap. They have neither storehouse or barn, and yet God feeds them. Right? They don't have big barns to tear down and build bigger barns. They have no place to put their food. And yet every single day, your heavenly Father feeds them. He's drawing this parallel. If that's how God cares about these small things, how much more is he going to care about you? He says, and yet God feeds them. Oh, how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to your lifespan? You worry and you fret about money are you able to prolong your life doing that? You might lose some years off your life with anxious and worry thoughts. If then you are not able to do as small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies now. you Have seen the birds? Now look out and see these beautiful wildflowers, so to speak, in Colorado. Every year they just come up. And my goodness, people flock to photograph them because they're so beautiful. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Unlike the birds, they don't go anywhere to, to get what they need. It's brought to them. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? What Jesus is trying to draw on is do you, do you trust the Father? If you're his children, and this is how he cares for birds and grass that are alive today and die tomorrow, will he not much more clothe and feed you? In fact, faith to trust him for tomorrow is often built by looking in the rearview mirror. How older are you? The Lord has fed you every single day and preserved your life. For that many years how wonderful is that all those days you had something to wear maybe it wasn't your preference maybe it wasn't the style that was in fashion but think about that all the days of your life in the rear a mirror the lord has been faithful to feed you and clothe you now you have little faith will he not do it tomorrow if he preserves your life what's the principles of the ravens and the, and the lilies It's not how much they have, but how carefree they live. Like, they just live. They just enjoy life. And they're not worried about what to eat or what to wear. And Jesus says, there's a principle in here. It's not built on how big your barns are and how much resources you have. It's, do you trust your heavenly Father, who has fed and clothed you thus far, to continue to do it until he brings you home? And we would say... Yes, life does not consist of all my possessions, of even the food and the clothing I have. It consists by walking and trusting my heavenly Father. And so in verse 29 it says, And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. He's not saying that they don't matter. He knows that you need Him. Your Father knows that you need Him. But don't be like the nations, all the people around us that are trying to seek after more and more. He says, don't do that. Instead, seek His kingdom and these things will be added to you. We want to seek after His kingdom. The things that He's concerned about. He's concerned concerned about people. He's concerned about evangelism and missions. He's concerned about building up men, and women, and their families, and their marriages, and children, and communities. He's interested in caring for the poor. He's concerned about justice issues. Be concerned about those things. Let your finances flow to the things of the kingdom, he's saying. Verse 32, fear not. This whole chapter, if you just read the whole thing, it's about eliminating fear. Because I know this is a terrifying thing, for you just to trust your heavenly father in this? But fear not, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I love this final principle. It's just be generous to give it away. Like, how much do you want to keep for yourself? Like, I didn't, I didn't procure any of it. The Lord just graciously gave it to me. Perhaps he gave you wits and wisdom and insights that give you the job that you have. Perhaps he gave you the health to be able to work the job that you have. But it's all just a gift from God. Every good and perfect gift is from above. How much do you want to keep for yourself? That's what he's saying. If you're trying to build the kingdom here, your kingdom, you're going to need a lot. But if your mind is on the kingdom of heaven, then you might not need as much. And you might be taking the resources that it gives you to invest in eternal things rather than temporary things that you can't take with you anyway. What I love is that he answers this man's question with this parable. The man wants an inheritance. And I think Jesus is just saying, hey, bud, hey, bud, that inheritance is so small and insignificant compared to what your heavenly father wants to give you. It delights your father, he says, to give you his kingdom. His kingdom, where you'll never lose it. Your inheritance cannot be stolen. It cannot rust. No moth can make it be ruined. It cannot be stolen or destroyed. But your vision of your inheritance is so small. And if you would trust your heavenly Father now and forever, oh my goodness, the things that you would have. And the final approach here, he says, where your, what? Where your heart is, your treasure will be? And he says, where your treasure is, your heart will be. Does your heart lead your treasure, or does your treasure lead your heart? Your treasure leads your heart. Oftentimes we say to ourselves, well, you know, if if, if there's a cause that stirs my heart up, then my finances will follow. That's not the principle Jesus teaches. The principle Jesus teaches is this. Make financial investments where you want to deposit your heart. If you feel like your heart is far from the things of the kingdom, we might want to evaluate our financial contributions. Because where our treasure is, where we put our money, our heart just follows. It just follows. And so these are the principles that Jesus teaches. And I think there's three things in this text to grow our generosity as as followers of Jesus. Is the antidote to greed is generosity. To have loose fingers, so to speak. Not to have sticky hands with the resources God gives us. So I think there's three things in this text that we looked at that helps grow our generosity. We always want to be growing our generosity in which we're willing to give. There's three things, okay? We want to share your resources, not build bigger barns to hoard them. Sell your possessions. There's things maybe in your house that you haven't used that you could just simply sell and go help somebody in poverty. Just help someone financially who needs it. Sell your possessions and seek God's kingdom. We have to stop seeking an earthly kingdom and start seeking a heavenly one. The model of all of this is Jesus. The model of all of this is Jesus. The scriptures tell us that Jesus, though being rich, became what? Poor. So that, you guys know, you might be rich in him. Jesus models this. The one who gave up his riches So that he could take on poverty so that he might give you the kingdom. What joy is that? That's the motivation of all of it. We do not buy or spend our way to gain the kingdom of God. No, the way we use our resources simply reflects that we have the kingdom of God. And so as we come to the communion table, we just want to be reminded of God's gracious gift of giving us his son. As Scott said earlier. That he would give us his son, that we might be forgiven of all of our sins, that we would be freed from death and be brought into eternal life. And so if you're helping with communion, will you come forward now? And I just want to pray and prepare our hearts to receive communion this morning.